Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Beautiful people, 
This is your host, Nube of Prison Focus Radio. Thank you for joining me this morning. I want to get right to the reminder that KPOO San Francisco 89.5 is in its fall fundraiser. So please come together. Consider yourself an essential community member and dig as deep as you can. Everything from small to large and everything in between is absolutely welcome and essential. So if you would like to and can make a contribution to KPOO, then please write to KPOO PO Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. And of course, you can always donate online by going to KPOO.com. All right. We are also moving in, we have moved into the purple, people considering COVID. So rather than moving into fear, I hope you will take a deep breath and move into more vigilance. Please take care. Please stay safe. Do the things that you need to do. Um, Love and care for your neighbor as you care for yourself by making sure that you mask up. Sanitize your hands when you when you can. Don't go out unless you need to. I want to say thank you for joining me this morning. I love you. I love this community. And I want to give also a big shout out of love and respect and solidarity to our caged community members, their families, and their loved ones. We are going to get going on this show. Um, we are going to be listening to a conversation that I had with Joka Hashima Jinsai. He'll be talking about uh, the founding of the Amend the 13th campaign and the creation of the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission as well. This is really going to be something special. Here we go. All right, folks, joining me this morning is Joka Hashima Jinsai. He is the founder of Amend the 13th and the creator of the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission. He is here today to talk to us about his beautiful work, and quite notably, he is speaking to us from behind the uh, prison walls where he has been caged over 30 years. Good morning, Hashima. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Sister Newt. Glad to be here. All right. So, yeah, let's just get right into it. I just want to let the folks know that uh, it is really from you that I finally understood that illegal slavery was still taking place um, and um, manifesting itself in the prisons, giving me the knowledge that there was an exception clause to the 13th Amendment. You are the brother that um, helped me understand that. So thank you so much. Um, But yes, please. Uh, Yeah, just get started with your beautiful work. Um, When I first conceived of Men 13, it was on the heels of the 2011, 12, 13, or 14 hunger strikes here in California. And it was a natural progression as we obviously saw that social cooperation could actually transform a fascist contradiction into a progressive one. Um, I began to think, what is the core contradiction facing our people? What is the core contradiction in the United States? I mean, I could think of no greater evil, no more enduring legacy of social hatred and human misery than legal slavery in America. So I thought to myself, how is it in this time, in this day, 
slavery remains legal and the vast majority of people in society don't know it. And it's because the manner in which legal slavery in America was maintained was by simply rebranding it. They rebranded it as imprisonment. Almost instantly from the very inception of the 13th Amendment, the legal slavery provision of the 13th Amendment to be accurate, they monetized human bondage. It was known as the convict lease system. But that got me to thinking, what is the origins of crime in America? Comrade George Jackson identified the origins of crime in America as the disproportionate distribution of wealth, privilege, and opportunity in a society. Now, if you look at that, if we can agree that criminalization of a people or community is the door that leads to legal slavery in America, what we know today as mass incarceration, the logical conclusion would be to end that poverty to school to prison pipeline. The way we would have to shut that off is at its origin. It's at its root. The root is not once you have been accused, hunted, captured, and convicted of a crime. The root is the disproportionate distribution of wealth, privilege, and opportunity in your community. It is the poverty. It is the educational underdevelopment. It is the social underdevelopment. It is the social containment. That is the root of criminalization. It is the overt racism. It is the institutional hate which is the root of legal slavery in America. So we could swat at its shadow. We could strike at the symptoms of this inequality, this racial hatred, this social economic. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Intentional deliberate bondage or strike at its root. That is where the Thomas Infrastructure Mission was born. It was that realization that there are communities in this society, there are people in this society who have been historically oppressed, American people in particular, poor people in general, by this particular uh, uh, system, the system of capitalism and white supremacy. That system has presided over the death of millions the human misery of millions and millions of more. And largely our people have simply not understood what's happened to them or how to combat it. Before you can wage any type of struggle, you have to have a base. You have, a, have to have a point, a foundation upon which you can launch some form of resistance. You can't resist when you're hungry. You can't resist when you ain't got no job and you're poor and you can't pay your rent. You can't resist when you're unhealthy. You can't resist when you're ignorant. We live in an age known as the information age where knowledge is literally power. The more information you possess, the greater your capacity to transform and impact your social conditions. A people's attitude is predicated upon that people's conditions. I think the vast majority of us fail to really, really tangibly grasp that fact. A people's attitudes, how you view social life, how you view the world, is most often predicated upon your social conditions. 
What would be the worldview of a people who has been subjected to hate for hundreds of years? That have been subjected to poverty, abject, soul-crunching poverty for hundreds of years. And it's a deliberate application of poverty. It's intentional. It's a social containment which has endured through every evolution in political, social, and cultural life in America. Yet we have yet to organize ourselves to resist it effectively because it endures. As you know, um, some of your listeners may not know, I'm a new African revolutionary nationalist and revolutionary scientist. Coast. We utilize a tool, a tool is called dialectical materialism. It simply means concrete analysis of concrete conditions. That's the simplest way I can interpret dialectical materialism to you. When you make a dialectical materialist analysis of that particular contradiction, you leave away with one inescapable fact. What if we were able to improve our economic state and it was an improvement that was solely within our power? What if we were able to improve our level of education and technical development and was solely in our power? What if we were able to feed, clothe, house, and heal ourselves utilizing nothing but our social cooperation with our own hands without relying on any outside or external force? Would that impact criminalization in our communities? Of course it would. One of the things that I'm constantly aware of when uh, you have uh, right-wing political ideologues criticizing underclass or underdeveloped communities and they call them criminals and and they speak in these dehumanizing terms, they call them animals and drug dealers. One of the things I'm constantly aware of is if one had an alternative to stand on a street corner selling crap or working a job for $20 an hour, I can guarantee you 10 out of 10 would take that job for $20 an hour as opposed to risking a life and limb and freedom standing on that corner selling some drugs, poisoning their community. But the opportunity is not there. The level of development to attain those jobs are not there. The social containment on that community to preclude that reality is there. So it's there that we have to begin. Poverty, inequality, economic desperation, being broke, racial hatred, educational underdevelopment are the root of instability in our communities. It is the root of instability in, in, in our homes. This gives rise to the very criminalization upon which legal slavery in America is based. Here's the contradiction. The same institutions that's responsible for presiding over our community's destabilization continue to be the basis of the infrastructure in our very communities. We rely on them for our food, our water, our jobs, our education, to solve the political problems, our technology. We rely on them for the very basics of life. That's irrational. That's beyond irrational. It, 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 it lends itself to a type of collective insanity. The autonomous infrastructure mission is a blueprint for a possible solution. It focuses on seven key areas. Those seven key areas are identified as life-giving. 
The Sustainable Agricultural Commune is a collective working responsibility program to transform every open space, backyard, side of the apartment complex into a food providing, a food giving source of local produce. We can feed ourselves and it'll cost us nothing but our labor and social cooperation, us working together. The money that you would normally go hike all the way to the white community to spend in that grocery store, you keep that money in your pocket. You make a great contribution to the further development of the planet itself by growing your produce locally because your carbon footprint is almost insignificant to non-existent. If you look at the rule of property crimes, even predatory crimes like robbery, they have a common origin. Not enough. Not enough money to pay the rent. Not enough money to get your child some diapers. Not enough money to feed your family. Not enough money to send your daughter to school. In some cases, irrationally as it may sound, because we live in this culture, not enough money to buy the local clothes you want. But that's a, that's a cultural outgrowth. What if we had the capacity to have the businesses in our communities owned by the community? The only people we hire to staff those businesses are those in our community who did not have a job. Now, when I first... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It actually came into my mind from a statistic I read in a book called Black Economics. In that book, they outlined how long a black dollar will circulate in the new African community, black community. And they contrasted it with other communities. If I remember the statistics correctly, in the Jewish community, a dollar circulates for 34 days. In the Korean community, it circulates for 17 days. In the Mexican community, it circulates for seven days. In the black community, it circulates for 71 seconds. In 71 seconds, our wealth goes to enrich another community. Those dollars could be circulating and magnifying in our own community, enriching us, removing the stigma of poverty, which has plagued us since we arrived on these shores in 1619. Yet it does not. That's irrational. We have taken no collective, we've made no collective response to that. It is the deliberate application of poverty. So, the solution would be to pool our resources. There's enough of us, we example. Let's say we're in Bayview Hunters Point. Bayview Hunters Point has a population between 10 and 15,000 people. Let's say that community decided to contribute a dollar, 50 cents every two weeks for two months you would have a war chest at the end of that six-month funding period of almost $200,000. You have 60 seconds remaining. Other than enough to purchase a local grocery and stock it. You can then employ people from that community who don't have a job. Who do you think the people in that community are going to spend their money with? I'm not going to go to Ralph's or Albertson's. I'm going to spend the money with my grocery store, the one that we own. You keep your money in your pocket because that money is going to come back to the community because the grocery store is collectively owned. 
we in turn reduce the unemployment rate in that community. We take away the incentive for criminalization. There's no need to commit a crime if you have a job paying you enough to maintain your life and the life of your family. We continue these six-month funding cycles. In the next cycle, we buy a synthetic business, a bakery. We again hire only the people in our communities who don't have a job. If you continue this cycle, at some point you will reach a complete economic circle where every business in your community is owned by the community, staffed by the community, and patroned by the community. You keep your dollars circulating in your own community. One more. So, Kishima, I have a... This reason. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, um, I'm going to, this is a kind of a devil's advocate kind of question, right? Because, um, or, uh, yeah, statement. So there is clearly, though, right, that a a systematic denial of self-determination of of black people. I mean, the the country, right, was started on their enslavement. I mean, I think that this... Oh, so I'd like you to comment on this is just kind of how, from a perspective that I have around this. Because we know of this idea that this country seems to know no other way of responding um, to black people. I mean, a genocided um, indigenous people. So we know what the... the, the uh, what's going on there. It's about their extermination. They really don't, you, you know, they got to, so that's the situation that they're in. And of course, I'm condensing this down something, obviously, that's much more complex. But since day one, right, in this country, how to handle black people is to keep them in a state of slavery, a, a state where they can be exploited. And this country has been conditioned, the people have been conditioned, right? Like every policy, every legislation is as keep this particular group of people um, dependent on this this structure that keeps them, well, that keeps them um, from being self-determined, being dependent, right? So those structures are still in place. So here we are, um, and because we know that... that Black people have been, you know, fighting for their liberation, fighting for their self-determination. And we can just just take the Black Panther Party. They became the most dangerous organization um, in the country when they started the, the free breakfast program. So, so how do we, how do we, um, so is this also, a, so just how do just will you just speak to that? You know, because I I I know that other people are are thinking. You know, my God, you know, we we are trying all the time. We're trying all the time, and we keep you know they keep stealing the any kind of uh, wealth that we build at all. They they find some way to steal it from us because they know no well, other way um, except to well, profit off of our our degradation and our dehumanization. I I, I agree one hundred percent. And a historical analysis of the question that you, you asked me speaking about um, would be extensive, but I can condense it in this way. I can, I can speak to that point in this manner. These initiatives will have to be defended. 
these ideas will have to be defended. And what I mean by defense is just that. They will have to be defended politically, socially, culturally, economically, and in some cases militarily. That is the unfortunate reality of the society that we live in. Mm-hmm. When I developed the aim, when the aim first came to me, it wasn't simply me. This is the product of the culmination of the ideas of men who helped me become the man I am. I said that to say this. The aim is an interconnected network of initiatives. No single aim initiative can stand alone. They work like a puzzle, like a machine. Different systems coming together to create a single autonomous infrastructure. The mm. fence of that infrastructure is integrated into some of the initiatives. In fact, it's the reason some of the initiatives exist, such as the Secure Communities Mandate and the uh, the uh, safe, uh, uh, Community Safe Zone Initiative. These are there specifically to defend the aim and the people who exist in that community. Ah, can you speak a little bit more about those? No can you drill down a little bit? <laughs> sure. Um, for example, the Community Safe Zone Initiative is an initiative. Like our people, first of all, our people should be able to go about their basic daily social life without fear of violent death or assault. They should be able to patron the laundromat, the local store, the playground, without fear of being hurt by people in their own community or the police. For that reason, we developed the Community Safe Zone Initiative. It is both a mutually agreed upon initiative with those. Because of the contradictions which exist in our communities, there are subculture elements. Those who actually believe that the underground economy is the only way. Everything in the underground economy is illegal in the United States. You got gangs in the hood as an attempt to create some form of social empowerment. These gangs actually are a contradiction. You have drug dealers in our neighborhood who actually believe poison in their communities is a way to raise money. That's a contradiction. Their existence in our communities, of course, provides some tacit uh, uh, justification for police to come terrorize our community, even though there is no justification. And it is for that reason we have to designate safe zones and defend those safe zones. Community Safe Zone Initiative designates particular sites in our community that is most heavily patroned by the people who are in our community, our elders, our women, our children, and we defend them. We have a three-pronged mechanism for each site. The eye, the voice, and the fist. The eye watches that site for any potential threat. If a potential threat is identified on site, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Just engage just the potential threat to see if it actually is a threat or if it's innocuous. If it is a threat, they will be asked to leave the safe zone in an assertive but respectful manner. If they refuse or if they are an actual threat, the fist is notified. We don't, um, each one of the initiatives of AIM, I want people to understand this, we do not rely on law enforcement or the state for anything. So when the FIST is notified, that potential threat will be removed. I don't think I need to say more on that particular issue. 
Right, exactly. But that mandate is good. No, please. Could, I was I'm sorry. I was just going to say uh, this is um, this is also seems to be a part of the you know abolition abolition uh, principles as well. You know, not calling law enforcement, actually yes. taking care of the yes. right. these these issues within our own um, community. The reason why mm-hmm. exactly, and the reason why that is so uh, so important is because history has taught us. Whenever you introduce the state into our communities, you do you do nothing but create a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. You create a whole new contradiction, one that previously didn't exist. And in many cases, for our people, it ends up with somebody being killed, unjustly imprisoned, or the sanction. The secure communities mandate is an all-encompassing self-defense initiative to ensure every aspect of our communities is safe from racist terror to police brutality. We have community patrols. These community patrols work hand-in-hand with community safe zone initiative uh, activists to ensure that we have a blanket over our community to ensure everybody in there is safe. They are trained to work within the confines of the emergency response network. A lot of people don't know what the emergency response network is. The Emergency Response Network is an initiative that was developed by Abdul Olabalashi Court to ensure that our people are ready for a natural disaster. So what happened in Hurricane Katrina never happens to our communities again. I mean, we can't in one breath say we exist in a society which is systematically oppressing our people. And then in the next breath, rail at the very society for not saving us when we hit by a natural disaster. That's a contradiction. Mm-hmm. No one's going to come save us. No one will protect us. No one will defend us. We have to protect ourselves. We have to save ourselves. We have to defend ourselves. These initiatives were developed to do just that. Beautiful people, if you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown. We are listening to Joka Hashima Jinsai. He is the founder of Amend the 13th Campaign, and the creator and founder of the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission, which is um, a program meant to circumvent the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. I want to remind all of you that we are in a fall fundraiser for KPOO San Francisco 89.5. So, If you have not yet made a donation, we are looking to raise $75,000 by the end of the year um, for this beautiful community-sponsored, supported radio station. And I want to give a shout-out and just express our deep gratitude for this hour of Prison Focus Radio that um, KPOO provides. So please send your donation in to KPOO PO Box 156650 San Francisco, California 94115 or you can make your donation online by going to kpoo.com. Dig deep as deep as you can, small or large and everything in between is welcome because We know 
When it comes from the community, you know what you want and need in your community. So it is all about the love and us coming together. And it is about us coming together because that is where we're going to make these things happen. All right, we are going to take a musical break and get back to my conversation with Joka Hashima Jinsai. Transitions. Transitions of a man's mission to turn the moment into something he owns. Not just for him, but for them to understand this is peace of a man. Woman beside providing balance so that we can do our best with God's talent. patriarchy, 
These things are inherent, integral aspects of the system. If they cease to exist, the system would cease to exist as you know it. Those who currently uh, constitute what we know as the ruling class or the elite or the power, whatever you want to say it, this state, because that's what the state is, is a tool to maintain the dominance of one class or people over all others, will endure. What we have to do, first and foremost, is create a base from which our people can resist in an organized and rational manner. That base is the aim. The Autonomous Infrastructure Mission has seven primary programs. Several I've spoken already. We have to address food security, that is, the sustainable agricultural economy. We have to address employment and financial security, that is, the closed circuit economic initiative. We have to ensure our physical security, that is, the secure the secure communities mandate and the community safe zones initiative. We have to ensure our security in case of natural disaster or social unrest. That is the emergency response network. We have to secure our technological and educational security to make sure our people are developed in a high-tech world to be able to meet those challenges. That is the New African Math and Science Center initiative. Our people have to ensure that our youth are prepared for the next generation of service and have a foundation upon which they can maintain a sense of social empowerment without preying on this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded without preying on their own community that is the youth community action program each of these initiatives work interconnected as one contiguous social initiative. It is a way, a blueprint to empower ourselves. And I think I've glossed over one of the most important aspects of Yang. And that is our initiative to release those advanced elements who are in prison. We call it strategic release. The strategic release initiative Basically, put it in a nutshell, you have some of the most advanced social, cultural, economic, ideological, and military minds of our time languishing in prisons. These are men who have a proven record of decades, over 25 years plus, as a minimum of service to developing their communities. They've been in prison for over 25 years or more. There is absolutely no reason for them to remain there other than the state seeking to deny our communities their participation, their contributions, and their leadership. That's a contradiction. That's a contradiction that none of us in good conscience can continue to allow to persist. We have to organize against it. The Strategic Release Initiative is actually the communion telling the state these men who qualify for strategic release must be released to us. They make a pledge to serve their communities into perpetuity, meaning simply because you qualify for strategic release and you are released, don't mean your service stop. You don't retire to the white picket fence. No, you continue to serve the people forever.
it is a joy for us to do so. The strategic release class is a unique class of prison. Those in the cohort that I just explained to you, 25 years or more, 50 years or older, have a recidivism rate of 0.015%. They don't come back to prison. But when you add the strategic release class, which is a cohort within that cohort, who have dedicated their lives to serving their communities, the recidivism rate turns into zero. We ain't coming back to the penitentiary because we have a sole focus building and developing our communities to ensure that each and every one of us have a better life, have better opportunities, have a better chance at creating the type of society that we all want to live in. And the current social order continues to deny us. Even my deepest heart of hearts that the aim is practical. And if we implement it, as each community's conditions allow, we can transform this entire society. At the very minimum, we can create a more equitable one. <laughs> one where the disproportionate distribution of wealth, privilege, and opportunity isn't so disproportionate. Because we provide our own wealth, our own opportunity, and our own privilege within the confines of our own infrastructure. These are practical initiatives. What I mean by that is this. Anyone listening to my voice right now can start an AIM chapter in your community today. You know whether or not you have one or two. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Yes, we live in your community. And the reason I continue to stress in your community is because every AIM initiative is dependent on indigenous leadership. Some of you may ask, why is that a shame? Why can't I come from outside that community, come in there and try to try to build a name? Well, here's the thing. They don't know you. You don't live there. Who knows that community better than those who live in that community? Who's going to trust the words that are coming out of your mouth are the ideas you're seeking to get people's hands and feet to move on and the person who's living right there in those same conditions on a day-to-day -day basis. I know him. I grew up with him. I know her. I grew up with her. That's Miss Mabel's son. That's old man Jefferson's uh, daughter. I know they love us. I grew up with him. Also, when you implement these initiatives in your own community, you have a vested interest in their success. You will do what is necessary to ensure that these initiatives actually come into fruition. It is my belief that each and every person listening to my voice right now has the capacity to be a local coordinator for the aim. In so doing, you can change this whole society by creating a new one within and you were going to ask me something, sis? Well, you're kind of, yes, you are somewhat answering it. I think um, what I'm hearing is, and it's, it's going a little, uh, just back a little bit when you were talking about the strategic, strategic release. Yes. It sounds like, again, it, it, the foundation is about the, the power of the people, the reclaiming our power, even though there are People in power, let's just take the governor, for instance, right? He has the power of um, clemency and 
and the release. But ultimately, it's us, it's our voices that are going to have to push him or her to make those that happen. And we need to be able to reclaim that and own that that power. Exactly. Think about this. Who had? Who's the greatest stakeholder? And who gets out of prison and released back to your community? The board, the current makeup, the current constitution of the board of prison terms, of prison hearings in the state of California, and I'm sure every state across the nation, is former law enforcement, mm-hmm. former prison guards, former district attorneys, former judges. These are people who have a vested interest and have built an entire career on maintaining legal slavery in America. And that's who's determining who's coming to your community. We realize this is the greatest conflict of interest in the history of humanity. Here you have a public service institution vested with the interest to protect public safety, yet their monetary power, their money, their privilege is based on maximizing the number of people they have under their control, the number of prisoners at any given moment. Remember, the CCPOA, that's the California Correctional Peace Officers Association, the biggest, most powerful union in the state of California. It derived that power from war chest, the amount of money it has to influence who sits on judges' panels, who sits in the governor's office, who sits in political uh, uh, in, in, in the political alderman seats. And that money is dependent on the number of prison guards. The number of prison guards is based on what? The prison population. If the prison population is predicated upon criminalization, who you think community is ultimately impacted by this board? Yours. But who has the greatest interest in determining who is released? When, when, when I get out of prison, I'm not going to go live next to Gavin Newsom. I'm not going to go live next to the local law enforcement official that sat on my board or the local prison guard that sat on my board. Man, I'm going to go back to Southeast San Diego. I'm going to go live right more, right back to the loop. The person with the vested interest, the greatest stakeholder in when I get out and, and, and if I'm released, is the people from my community. Right. That's why we promote community release boards. That's why we promote strategic release. Because these initiatives are predicated and rooted in the interest of the people, not the interest of some state actor who is making $800,000 a year off keeping me in the cell. That is something that every single person in the United States of America can relate to, can grasp. It's rational. Strategic release is rational. To oppose it, to seek not to implement it, is irrational. It's really that simple. It is. There's a reason why. It's it's, it's, it's a reason why these institutions so avidly seek to demonize progressive movements. It's because these these progressive movements are pointing out the obvious contradiction. These contradictions aren't difficult to understand because 
but our people have been so inundated with, forgive my friends, that we actually see lies as truth and truth is lies. You just had eight, almost uh, uh, 70 million, 80 million people vote for a overt fascist who every two words come out of his mouth is a lie. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That's virtually half of the electorate are overt fascists. And I said that for a reason. Fascism is not something that's imposed on the people. Fascism is something that's supported by the people. Right. The aim seeks to provide an alternative form of social life. Once, one which is genuinely anti-fascist. It is a threat. And it's the reason why it must be defended. More than anything else, there is a simple inescapable truth just at the heart of the autonomous infrastructure mission. No one is coming to save us. No one is going to correct these contradictions. Vote whoever for. You can put, I don't care who you put in any political office. Your social conditions are not going to change because your social conditions are inherent in the system that is currently in existence. It is woven into the very fiber of the infrastructure you rely on for daily life every day. It ain't going to change until you change that. We have it in our power to do that. For us not to do it is it's, it's almost suicidal in, in a sense. I, uh, I, I suggest in the strongest possible term that everyone who is listening to my voice right now just take a moment. Review the initiatives of the aim. Review them with your community in mind. And at the end of that review, tell me if this is not a rational approach to ensure the betterment and safety of your life, the betterment, safety, and progress of the lives of your children. Tell me if this is not a blueprint for a new way of life and potentially a new society. I don't think. Nishima. Yes. Can you let people know where they can actually see these documents? Yes. Anyone who would like a copy or would like to review any initiative of the AIM, you can go to the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission page on Facebook.com or the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission Working Group on Facebook.com. These are both open to the public. Anyone who wants a copy, you can simply send a message and in your email. One will be in your inbox today. We have a national coordinator named Adam Bashir. He does aim all day, every day. It's all he do. And he will ensure you get those documents based out. If you are interested in being a local coordinator, contact Adam Bashir. He will provide you with a local coordinator's packet and integrate you into our national network. I strongly, strongly, strongly advise everyone who wants to live in the type of society where human misery is simply not our daily existence, where the potential for genuine social cooperation 
is the order of the day to adopt the yang. I guarantee you, if we implement on the ground the initiatives of the Thomas Infrastructure Mission, we can change this country. More importantly, we can ensure the safety and betterment of our communities, which are so desperately in need of it. I really appreciate this opportunity, sis. Joe Kashima Jinsai, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to hear this, to be inspired. This is an amazing opportunity for us. Um, this leadership that you are bringing and these ideas that you have are so powerful. So we are grateful too. I'm going to speak for those of us out here that are listening. And I know that we had started with um, your founding of the Amend the 13th campaign. And this is part of the response. It's not just about the language. It's really about uh, creating a world where slavery doesn't exist. I hope that people will get in touch. Again, um, please tell people where they can go to um, get this information. Are they able to maybe be in email conversation with Adam Brashear so that they, sure. um, if they have questions or yes. um, anything um, like that? Can you so give all that information? On you all can contact Adam Bashir at A Bashir B A S H E R E two seven six at gmail dot com. Excellent. Uh, you can email him and he will get back to you today. I uh, know that mom. You got pretty good today. Um, if you would like to review the time for self structure mission, you can of course go to the Thomas Infrastructure Mission page on Facebook.com or the Thomas Infrastructure Mission Working Group or Amendment 13th Working Group, all on Facebook.com. Each one have a, has a, a, a messenger function, and uh, Adam's on the other end of that messenger, so he'll get right back at you. Fantastic. I hope that there is a, a big response. Because there's some great organizing out here that is happening, and uh, we are in a, a pivotal moment. Um, and of of the movement, so it's, it's crucial information, and uh, we're very grateful. And we will have you back for sure. I appreciate it. We'll have to do some updating here. <laughs> thank you. All right, yeah. thank you so yeah. much, Nishima. Have a beautiful rest of your day, and right, uh, we will talk again. Thank you as well. All right, bye bye. All right, one look. All right, folks, that is our show. And please join the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper fundraiser that is happening this weekend. Go to sfbayview.com and get all the information there. It is Friday and Saturday. We are going to be celebrating the Bayview Hunters Point community. Please join us there. Get ready for Prison Focus Mailbox. And those of us who identify as prison abolitionists as opposed to prison reformers, uh, make the point uh, that oftentimes reforms uh, 
uh, create situations where um, mass incarceration becomes even more entrenched. You're listening to Prison Focus Mailbox. Hear the unvarnished truth from the ostracized, politically despised, and those tortured and left for dead. Prison Focus. I am an inmate here at Lancaster State Prison, and I am in the whole ASU. Currently housed right next to and around inmates with COVID-19. The nurses are handing out medication to non-COVID inmates while and right after handing it out to inmates infected with the COVID virus. The nurses are not changing their gloves day after day. Also, the COs are taking the inmates out of their cells to shower and whatever else. These inmates have tested positive for COVID and have isolation stickers on their cells. The COs are not disinfecting the handcuffs or changing their gloves after handling COVID-19 infected inmates. It is like a joke to the COs and nurses. I have been in the whole ASU since the 4th of July, 2020. I was taken to MTA on August 22nd, 2020, before I asked the CO to disinfect the handcuffs and change his gloves. They laughed and said they would sell extract me if I refused. On August 26th, I tested positive for COVID-19. After staff misconduct here at Lancaster Prison and COs and medical staff not properly handling the COVID-19 inmates and following proper policy of changing gloves and disinfecting handcuffs and equipment, causing a spread of the virus to myself and other inmates. I'm in ASU segregation, so there should be no possible way for me to contract the virus other than staff misconduct and negligence. After testing positive, and I have my results here on paper to prove it, still staff is coming around cell to cell taking vital signs and blood pressures, not disinfecting equipment or changing gloves. I've been very sick and in pain. I'm terrified and stressed out due to inhumane conditions and torture. For two weeks, I couldn't eat and was in severe pain. I believe this is a form of torture, being careless and purposely spreading something that can be deadly. I'm still in pain in my lungs, and they hurt and have had a great deal of anxiety and stress. Also, I have not been able to write my family due to the possibility of spread. Once I did get the virus, I have not been able to go out to the yard and get exercise, and the COs passed by, not giving us our weekly COVID-19 phone calls. Can you please be of any help or assistance to me, or point me in the right direction to end this misconduct and maybe pick up my case that we may have here? Thank you for your time and consideration. Respectfully, Garrett. California Prison Focus is a small community-based organization that works with and on behalf of California prisoners before, during, and after COVID-19. We have vowed to investigate and expose human rights abuses within California prisons through prison visits and correspondence and widespread dissemination of our quarterly prison reports. Under the guise of the Prison Human Rights Movement Blueprint, we are asking both the inside and outside artifacts to get involved with the agreement to come home, which you can learn more about on our website, prisons.org. Our primary resources rely entirely upon donations and subscriptions of our prison-focused newspaper, which is published every three to four months. This includes our new zine, Uncaged Slave, 24 hours ago. We welcome you to get involved with our various platforms. Why? Because together, as one voice, we say liberate our caged brothers and sisters. Free and one is free and community. 
to end all hostilities, prison focus, a training school, enriched by a collective curriculum. So remember, in these times, when the times are hard, we depend on the community. Go to prisons.org and donate now, today. Thank you.